Meditation. 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 Depending on the quality of my mind. You know, there's good days and bad days. I mean, I feel like the waterfall of thoughts. Every now and then, a nice... I can't think of anything. This is Meditation in the City. The Shambhala New York Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Meditation in the City podcast. My name is Francesca, and I'm your host. The title of this episode is The Egolessness of Confidence. The difficulty most of us have with personal confidence is that we never feel like we have enough. We measure it via comparison to others, amount of our credentials, and feedback from others. These relative reference points are woven into our upbringing, education, and culture. Yet the Dharma suggests a totally radical approach to confidence. That perspective is that when we can release measuring and self-referencing and dive into the depths of our genuine nature, that confidence can be experienced naturally and unconditionally. Today we are joined by Shastri Gail Van Gills, the award-winning author of Happier at Work, The Power of Love to Transform the Workplace, and the founder of the consulting, training, and coaching company, Transform Your Culture. An experienced meditation instructor, Gail has helped thousands of people find more peace, energy, inspiration, joy, and success in their lives and businesses. Here's Shastri Gail Van Gills to take away the discussion. Egolessness has a lot to do with not fixating and not believing in a fixed reference point. So you might say that we think we really believe all of us including me that i exist of course i do i'm gail and not only that i know i've been gail since i was a little kid even before i have memories or movies of me right so i think that all of that is me and all the stories and all the things that happened to me and all the things I've done, I carry them around with me in a big sack as me. We all do that. Egolessness is actually recognizing that we're more transient and porous than that. That we're actually, each moment there's a fresh me if I allow it to be so. I am not all those things that came before, except that I believe I'm all those things that came before. But actually, in any given moment, I'm just who I am. Sometimes we get to experience the freshness of possibly not repeating everything that we've done before when we move to a new place. And we moved a few times in my um, married life. And I remember each time thinking, oh, good, I get to start over and be a new me. And before long, I was as busy as ever, as engaged with all the same things as ever, because I carried around that idea of me. Is this making sense? So it's a lot of reference point. Egolessness is not self-referencing. It's not self-focused. It's not clinging on to our identity. It has to do with recognizing that maybe all of those stories and things that we tell ourselves about ourselves aren't actually so. Maybe they're not real. Maybe they're just stories. 
Maybe they're just past habits. But what happens is when we believe that it's me, we keep repeating those same patterns and habits over and over again. And then that reinforces, well, of course, that's me. I get angry at this, or I get jealous at that, or I'm no good, I'm not worthy of this or that, whatever the stories are and how we define ourselves. So talking about the egolessness of confidence is talking about looking at confidence from a different perspective. It's not about the historical you, it's about who are you really underneath all those stories. And that's why I sort of started out the meditation by saying that in meditation, that's what we're learning to recognize. We're learning to recognize the spacious quality in ourselves that is behind and permeating everything else that's just sort of slapped on top of it. One time um, when I was younger, we had a magazine that was our community put out at the time, I think it was called the Vajradhatu Sun, then it became the Shambhala Sun. I don't remember which it was at the time that this article occurred. And the article was called, It's All Just Makeup on Space. And they had this picture of like, you know, a person, but it was just the makeup, like a, a mask. And that has always stuck with me as an image that all of these things that we think we are that are so solid, they're really just makeup on space. They're not that real. Having said that, okay, so that's maybe the background of what egolessness is. It's like not self-referential, it's spacious, it's actually, it's wise, it's awake. If you take Shambhala training, we refer to this space of basic goodness, our true nature. That's our egoless nature. But we also do have an ego on a different level, like a personality. We are a person, right? We're a person walking through this world and maybe we're on a path to develop a relationship with this more vast me, but we have this personal me that we also really are working with and relating to as we journey through life. So that's like the, I call it the personal self and the vast self. And we journey with the personal self through this journey of meditation um, and developing greater and greater self-awareness and seeing what are the stories that we're telling ourselves? What is the makeup on space that is our version of reality? And can we look at that, really look at that, be aware, face our fears, and love ourselves anyway? So out of the awareness comes self-compassion and then moving into compassion for others. So that's the journey of egolessness. So in terms of confidence and the personal self, there is a level of confidence that has to do with our regular ego self. And so 
that that's a journey of actually being honest with ourselves and getting to know our own personal strengths and weaknesses. And there's a lot of different ways that you can uncover that. But you really um, are doing yourself a favor if you know both what you're strong and comfortable doing and that which is not your wheelhouse. So I'm not going to say that you just don't do the things that are not, not easy for you, but it's good to know what they are. You may have to do them sometimes, or they may be the things that you don't define yourself as this is me. And that makes you more comfortable. So um, I don't know, I guess for, for myself, it was a, one of the things that I had to, to come to terms with because I work in leadership and I work in the business world and I work with companies and corporations and all sorts of different things. But I realized that I really wasn't comfortable with part of that definition, which is it's been years since I've been in a big corporation. I really don't want to define myself as a coach or consultant for large corporations. That's somebody else's wheelhouse. And when I acknowledged that and kind of went, that's not my strength, this is my strength, then I could relax and have more confidence in who I was. So on the personal level, we have to get to know who are we, what are our strengths, and what are maybe our weaknesses so that we can refer that work to somebody else, or we can hire somebody to do our website if we're not a web designer. Or, you, know, you know what I'm saying? We don't have to be everything and do everything. So we also need to embody a sense of worthiness. And this worthiness comes more from who we are primordially as a human being than the stuff that we do. So this, this is a quality that kind of verges between um, the personal and the vast self the sense of worthiness, because you're tuning into your inherent goodness as a human being. And you're also realizing that you don't have to believe everything that everybody else says or that you say to yourself, that you're more worthy than that. You don't deserve that bad treatment. And I think that was, it was Eleanor Roosevelt who said, nobody can make you feel inferior without your consent, right? So if somebody gives you an insult that you don't agree with, it rolls right off, like water off a duck's back. But if you believe you're insecure, if you think when they say, oh, you won't be able to do that, if you believe that, then you're going to have a lot of criticism and self-judgment. So that's that sense of, of inherent worthiness that um, it's trainable, and it's trainable through practicing meditation, among other things, and really getting in touch with the fact that all those stories you tell yourself, they may not be true. So then there's this vast self that I'm, I keep referring to. That's my dog. <laughs> we have a, we have a, 13 or 14 week old puppy. And my husband just went out the front door. So he's trying to ask to go out. I'm sorry. 
Um, anyway, this the um, vast self is um, not cognitive. So this personal self, we think about things. You know, we're we're caught in cognitive thought and relative world and me and stuff out there, and I'm thinking about this or that. The vast self is beyond processing information. It's just direct, direct knowing, direct awareness. And we're taking in and relating from that level all the time. We just may not be aware of it. And that's, again, the space that we're opening up and becoming more familiar with as we practice meditation. We're becoming familiar with the fact that we are wise and aware and that we have natural compassion within us and that we have a genuine curiosity about the world. This is the fantastic thing. This is who we already are. So we don't have to do anything to be that person, but we do have to practice and become familiar with it. And it's when somebody is coming from that place of openness and wisdom and vastness that we say, wow, that's an amazing person. They're so magnetic. They're so charismatic. They're so fabulous, right? We feel that kind of confidence radiating out of them because they've tapped into a place that's not relative. It just is. And that is our birthright as human beings. We all are that. That's the energy of a life of alive that's moving through us in the world. So as we're on this journey of practicing meditation and getting familiar with that place, we also can work with a more relative level, the me personal level, by recognizing when we're self-referencing and comparing ourselves to others. So this is where lack of confidence often comes in. We think, I'm not as good as, or I'm not worthy of that, or I don't know enough, or I don't have enough credentials, or I'm not pretty enough, or I'm not handsome enough. What all, all the things that we, that we criticize ourselves for, or we imagine that others are going to criticize ourselves for. So we actually have to find the inspiration to go beyond those stories and then question, is this true? Like when we hear ourselves being negative, we can ask ourselves, is this true? And would I talk this way to somebody else? Usually the answer is no and no. <laughs> so it's changing our habits. It's, ch it's changing our stories, first recognizing our stories and changing our stories. And all the while that we're doing this work, we're also opening up further and further to relaxing into who we actually are. And when we come from that place, whatever we do comes across very powerfully. So before I go on, let me just ask if, is this making sense to you guys or do you have any questions about what I'm saying? Just, I just want to add, it's what you say that because 
I often would create these scenarios in my mind of everything that could actually go wrong or potential conflicts in the future, whatever you want to call it. I, I just want things to go smoothly. It's that simple. No problems. That's it. You know, very unrealistic way of thinking, but it's a, it is it is a very a habit of mine's. And when something goes wrong, forget it. You know, um, I can't keep it together. It's really hard sometimes. And uh, just the story I tell about myself, the narrative of victimhood, and uh, even if I acknowledge it, sometimes it just keeps going. You know. Well, that's the first step, Johnny. You know, that's the first step is acknowledging it. So that's great. But then if you acknowledge it and you just keep doing it, it's almost like lazy, right? Yeah. You know, you're doing this thing. So first, you know it after you've done it. And then you know it again after you've done it. But at some point you start to notice the impulse. You realize, oh my God, I'm planning for that worst scenario again. And this is depressing me. This is making me feel like I'm not going to be able to succeed. And then I'm not going to be able to succeed because I'm all depressed because I figured out the worst scenario, right? So you, you start to see it, you start, the impulse is coming up and you go, no, I'm going to let it go. That's a story, but it takes work. You have to journal about it. You have to meditate. You have to be honest with yourself. You got to put in the work or else the habit is like the grooves, you know, you don't remember records, do you? <laughs> okay, I, I, I don't know what, <laughs> but you know, okay, know. records. So like with the grooves in a record, um, it's like it, the, the, this, it goes naturally to those places and then to the next groove and the next groove. And it's it basically, we're just a recording. We're replaying the same scenario over and over. And for some of us, we're replaying the same relationship over and over with different people. And we're replaying the same job story over and over in different jobs and losing them maybe. I mean, whatever it may be, we see ourselves doing it over and over. And you go, how could this happen over and over? Because you haven't actually changed anything. <laughs> You're still telling the same story. Gotcha. So you, you've got the first step down. I'm and just not, putting, I'm not putting the work. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the thing about meditation is if you if you live that story a lot, that means you're, when you're meditating, you're probably going to hear yourself telling that story, right? Mm -hmm. And it's easier to notice the story and go, oh, that was a story, or I was thinking, and let it go when you're just on the cushion and you're not actually in the throes of life. So that's why we call it meditation practice. We're practicing for life. Gotcha. Yeah. So I'm sure you can do this because you're already on the path to awareness. Thank you. Appreciate you're welcome. It. So a lot of this has to do with um, having courage to acknowledge what's holding you back. And for myself, I had a very, I mean, I, and I'm gonna be totally open here. I am not, I am not fully confident. It's not like I don't experience lack of confidence, but I've been working with this tendency in myself 
for a very long time. So when I first got my MBA and I was young and people in the, I lived in the LA Beverly Hills area and I would meet these important people who would say, oh, I want you to work with my company. And I would think to myself, who am I to work with them? I would never even get back to them. I, mean, I was so insecure. I didn't even write the letter to follow up. Okay, so I came from that amount of, you know, seeing my own lack of confidence to a point where a couple of years ago, I, I had been jotting down and writing things that I was calling my book. You know, I had like pages and pages, chapters and chapters of this thing that I called my book. But I also had a chapter that was called, I don't want to write a book <laughs> because I was so scared about writing a book because I didn't want to expose myself because I thought, who wants to know what I have to say? There's so many people out there who probably already said it better, whatever, you know, and that was all caught up in me. Who wants to hear from me? I, me, 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 I'm probably not as good as the other people. I mean, I was, it was all about me. It was all fears about me. And one day I just snapped and I went, well, what if I think about who could benefit from this book? What if even one person could benefit from this book? Why aren't I just putting it out there? And that was really the shift that it took because I shifted my story that it wasn't about me. It was about the people who were going to read my book. And I knew I was writing my book for real people because it was based on real experiences of real people's pain. So I knew in my heart, in my sort of vast self, I knew it was a beneficial thing I was doing. And if when I got out of the way, when I stopped having the whole thing be about me and my fears and what feedback was I going to get and were people going to think it was a great book and all that crap that we do, then I just did it. Now it's out in the world. And if someone wants to read it, they can read it. <laughs> you know, it's like you just do these things. And I started to live my life more that way. I just started to say, why not? What am I afraid of? And then why not? And the more that you say, what am I afraid of? And you really look at the fear and then you realize it's all about me. That fear is always all about me. Then you say, why not give this thing that I have to give? So that's what I kind of invite you to, to do is to be really aware of your stories, aware of how self-referencing they are and consider relaxing that, letting go of the self-reference point, moving closer to that egoless, vast perspective that's already wise, that's already good, that already the, the impetus in you that wants to do something that you're afraid of and you're judging and you're holding yourself back from, that's coming from a real genuine place. Just trust yourself more. And it takes practice. It takes a lot of practice. And meditation truly helps because it helps you let go of believing all the stories and criticisms and 
habitual ways of being that aren't serving you. I think I'll stop there and we could have um, a discussion. So we have an anonymous question from the chat that I think would be good to start us off on. Okay. The question is, uh, one of my challenges is having the confidence to listen to, identify and speak my own truth. I'm quick to make nice, to connect and to say what I think is expected. Despite meditation, I find it challenging to take that breath and communicate myself. Would love any thoughts on this. Yeah, um, that's, that's a very real issue that, that has to do with wanting to be liked, wanting to be judged as good, that the reference point is out there. So if the reference point is others thinking I'm nice, pleasing others, and therefore being um, feeling that I'm a good person because I because other people say I'm a good person, it can tie you ultimately in knots because you're always trying to see yourself through the eyes of others rather than being able to be self-aware and open to who you are and what you have to give. And unfortunately, when the reference point is other people liking you, you may compromise some of your own values. You may um, do things that aren't what you would have chosen to do, but they're because you think other people want you to do them. And then you start judging yourself for that. I actually have a client right now that's working through that issue and um, she's working through it, but <laughs> it's, it's not a quick fix because again, it's a habit to look outside for approval. And that has a lot to do with our ego, not our egolessness. That has to do with our, um, inherently at that point, feeling that we're not enough. So we have to do more to make other people like ourselves. So if you are aware of this now, that's great. So that's again, the starting point. You're aware that you're doing this behavior that is not bringing you um, peace and joy. You, you're doing it because you wanted to bring you peace and joy, but we're exposing the fact that it's not bringing you um, peace and joy, or even being feeling like you're not maybe even being genuine with other people. So they don't really even know you. So you don't even know if they would like you. So it's all part of that layered story that as you expose it and let it start to soften and drift away, you kind of go, well, what do I want to do? What do I think is best in this situation? I don't know if that was helpful. 
So you can, whoever asked that question, am I on the right track with that? Yeah, I, I appreciate that question. Um, I don't know if you can hear me. And, but yeah. I think what's uh, difficult is that feeling of, gosh, I'm being selfish if I'm thinking so much about what I would do or to be true to myself. And that's really a tough one. And, and I think women, because we get so easily focused on what other people's needs are, it's really hard to get a balance there and recognize yourself and that it's not selfish, but I struggle with that all the time. Yeah. Well, I think that um, historically a woman's role has been in our society to be the giver in terms of the role of mother and wife and other roles. But at the same time, um, each person has their own way of doing those roles. And they don't have to be, um, you don't have to feel as selfish to take care of oneself. In fact, taking care of oneself and knowing that I need time to rest, I need time to exercise, I need time to eat well, or whatever the things are, that's actually generous to you and others. So it's because it's changing, shifting the perspective of the story that, that is selfish. It's like, how would you tell the people you love to take care of themselves? That's the same thing you should do for yourself. Right. That's true. So what I don't get yet is how meditation, the practice of meditation helps you realize these things. <laughs> and maybe I have a mistaken notion about the power of meditation, but I... I don't get that piece just yet. Have you been practicing for a while? No, I'm pretty new to it. Okay. So it is a long-term project. Uh -huh. okay? It's not <laughs> yeah. like a quick fix. In fact, Cassidy and I were talking about this before tonight's talk began. I mean, if, we had, if, it, if any of us had the quick fix, whether we were therapists, coaches, or meditation instructors, we'd give it to you. We'd do it ourselves. This yeah. is the journey of life. And you have to become aware. The first step is this mindfulness practice, which helps you see what the story is in your head. I see. Yeah. And then when you see it, you can, you can question it and you okay. can let it go. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then I wanted to also say like, um, Nina, the, the question, the thing that you brought up earlier about jealousy is once again, um, looking outwards at what do I have? What do they have? And that sense of comparison, judgment, measuring. It's, it, it's a habit, or in your case, it's not even a habit. It's something new that you're noticing. It's good that it's new because it'll be easier to let go. But just notice that it's because you're looking outward not in the sense of how can I be a benefit, but how can I be as good as or better than? And that measuring is never gonna work. I mean, it's, it's, we're all different. In fact, somebody is better at some aspect of something and they're worse at some other aspect of something. And I'm always kind of amazed when I hear about the full story of someone's life, their personal life. Like, 
you find somebody who's really famous and beautiful and then you find out that they had this terrible disease and they were beaten as a child and their parents were killed in a car crash or something. You don't see there's all these backstories and yet you were projecting or I was projecting on them that they had this perfect life that maybe I wished I had. So, so much of what we're doing when we're being jealous, when we're being all these things, we're just making up the story of what we think their life is and what we think they're getting or having or doing. Right? Does that make sense? So again, that's where the meditation comes in because you tell yourself the story on the cushion. All the stuff that we tell ourselves goes through our head all the time. And you get kind of sick of it. You kind of go, oh my God, it's that story again. Until it doesn't have that hold on you. I think, so I thought of this idea, Johnny, when you were talking and then Gail, what you said now just brought it back around, which is something that I've been working through in my own life and that I noticed so much in Shambhala is that, so like you said, the first step is awareness. And, but there's this like other micro step after that, which is like not judging the thing that you're doing to the point where you're just kind of like, are like, well, screw this. Like, I it kind of reminds me like for anybody that's ever gone on a diet, it's like the first week or month or whatever, when you're not eating the junk food anymore, but you haven't lost the weight. And it's just this terrible liminal space where there's no like, uh, you know, like there's no brain chemicals that are like reinforcing this habit that you're trying to change. You're just like, well, I'm miserable, but I hope this works. And so with, with what I'm going through right now, it's like, I don't yet like believe in myself in the way that I know once I am able to get better in touch with that, then I think this jealousy will kind of dissipate more. But I think what I'm hearing is like, there has to be this like gentle, continual, fake it till you make it in the nicest way before it like really feels real, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I guess, what do you mean by fake it till you make it? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure what I said that. <laughs> like, what you said is um, like, you know, when I'm comparing myself to someone else, the reference point is outside and I'm not just sort of relaxing into like my true self and what might be right for me in that moment. And that's because like for whatever host of reasons, my like quick default position is to compare externally. So in order to like slow down and start to not compare, it doesn't quite feel natural. Like I don't feel the confidence right away. So I just have to say to myself, like, you'll get there. Even yes. if you don't genuinely believe it yet. Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's a matter of practicing the letting go 
when you find yourself judging and comparing, you go, oh, I'm doing that again. Okay, it's all right, I'm doing that again. And, you, and each time you notice it, that's actually what lessens its grip. So I wouldn't call that faking it. I would say you're actually doing the work. And maybe you're, you know, maybe the place that you're left when you go, oh, I'm doing that again, isn't the most comfortable place because now you're left with, oh God, am I a bad person because I was doing that again? No, no, I'm going to drop that too. I mean, it's, you start to see the layers of stories that we lay upon ourselves. And as they, as you see them and as you're kind to yourself, they start to lessen. And it does help to talk to somebody, you know, or being part of a group of people that are working with these things or whatever it is, it, it does help not to just hold on to the whole thing. You're like, I have to solve this all for myself. So it's great that you're here and we're having this conversation. It's very brave. Thanks. Um, uh, one thing that kind of has been coming up for me as I've been thinking about it and um, what Nina was just talking about definitely uh, felt like it kind of applied, which is um, kind of questioning my notions of what it means to be confident because um, lately I've been trying to practice like, like asking for help when I need help and admitting when I'm feeling depressed instead of pushing through. And I think confidence in the way I picture it at least is like this very powerful projecting you know, very macho, masculine kind of like, you, you know, confident that you're going to get what you want and you have control and all of these things. But um, uh, I think what I'm, you know, I, I think I'm struggling with a very similar thing to what Nina's saying of like, you know, it doesn't feel like confidence necessarily. Like it does feel like practice and like it feels more genuine. But, um, you know, when you're still in the early stages of that path and, um that you're working on the habits, but you're almost even more aware of the failures when you are making those same mistakes and everything. So it almost feels like, like it's somehow getting harder or something um, because you're just like actually looking at it. Um, but I have to say that, like, I think it does like those moments of like admitting that you don't feel confident does weirdly kind of like relax and kind of put a name on things and does kind of help you move forward. Um, it's just like the having to do it, especially like in my case, it's a lot of work stuff. So it's just kind of like sometimes minute to minute, you know, hour to hour, day after day kind of stuff. And um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I was just, that's kind of what's been coming up for me. Oh, Bobby, what I'm thinking is, I think your definition of confidence sounds like the Marlboro man or something. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That is not, that is, I mean, yeah. that is not what we're talking about here. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. That's more like pumped up arrogance or something. That is not confidence. This confidence that comes from being true to yourself is actually powerful because it's gentle and it's, it's just radiantly understated. Like the kind of leader who's, who just commands with a soft voice and kindness and interest in people. That's confidence. They have confidence not to have to be macho 
or you know, a woman doesn't have to be anything in particular. No one has to be anything to be confident. Confident just means you're comfortable in your own skin. You're not fighting with yourself. You're not trying to be something different. You're confident. You're just relaxed in being who you are. It's very different from that image that you're comparing it to. You, you would never want to be that person. That wouldn't be you. I can't feel you as that person. No. And that person isn't someone I want to be around. I mean, a confident person, the way that I'm describing it, is someone you want to be around, someone that makes you want to be with them because they're comfortable, because they're radiating something that is attractive and magical, kind of. It's, it's just a beingness that feels good because it's not about them and it's also not um, struggling. Are you following that? Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, so and what, you're do, what you're doing is the path to that, like by acknowledging, hey, I, this is what I'm feeling. That's great. That's, that's true. I know feng shui obviously impacts humans and how we occupy the space, but can you speak to animals in terms of like feng shui and them? Um, let's see. So I have a colleague from that I studied with that spe specializes with feng shui for pets, but I haven't really explored it so much. Although I do have two dogs and I think on some level, some of the principles apply to um, probably most mammals because a lot of one aspect of the way you can look at feng shui is how we as humans are like animals and we often, um, the way that we see our spaces and, and um, how we respond to spaces is dependent on our uh, our fight or flight or, you know, our old mind, our reptilian brain. So there's some principles that look at like how to position yourself in a space based on your relationship to the energy coming into the room. And so it's like very, like it, it, it would apply to like pets because 
you know, they, they also want to be able to see the door and like, you know, dogs bark when people come to the door because they're protective. Uh, so that is similar, but animals also process things differently. Like they can shake off um, energy where we as humans hold on to energy a lot more, right? Um, so I think there are ways, but it would, it's not something I've really gone in depth with, but, um, but I do think that animals bring good energy to a home and they uh, cultivate a lot of compassion and joy, especially, I mean, that's what I've experienced with my dogs that I love. And um, there are like other things like, there are other like things like, a, uh, I'm just, it's a long story, so I'm not gonna get into it. But, um, and then also there's of course, like uh, animal imagery that you can like symbolism of animals that you could bring into your home to, to inspire or to invite in energies with intention. Okay, any last questions? Poor Dan has been up for since 2 a.m. Eastern time. <laughs> and I told him that's when I went to bed last night. <laughs> so um, thank you so much for coming and um, and actually, Shirley, I was watching you. You were laughing. I, you laughed at all my jokes, so I like you. <laughs> but it, it's nice to see um, everyone. And um, yeah, nice to see everyone and some faces. I, I, see, I see John a lot, but I don't see Christy a lot. So, and I don't see Les a lot. So good to see some of you. And hi, Mark. Okay, Dan, any final housekeeping? Nope, we're good. Okay, whoa, but you guys can definitely follow me at Auntie Cho on Instagram or check out my website, auntiecho.com or holisticspaces.com 